What's up? And welcome back to the SportsBall.com podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Williams. And we've got a lot of NBA stuff to get into today. So let's just jump right in, shall we? So this is episode number 15. And uh, as of what, Wednesday? This past Wednesday, I think, was the end of the Western and Eastern Conference semifinals. So now we are down to our final four teams in the NBA. And believe it or not, these were the exact four teams that seemed like they were going to be the last four teams when the NBA started. Um, now, the seeding might be a little different than we, expect, than we expected, but regardless, these four teams that are left are the four teams we all expected. The Warriors, the Rockets, the Cavs, and the Celtics. But we're going to get into that matchup at the end. First, we need to look at all the teams that just got eliminated. So let's do that right now. So, this last series was really turned into the funeral for the new hot upstart teams of the NBA and then the uh, Toronto Raptors. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers, New Orleans Pelicans, Utah Jazz, and Toronto Raptors are now eliminated. So I think we should start this episode of the podcast by looking at what went wrong for each one of these teams in their series and take a look into their future, see if their success from this year was sustainable or if they need to make a move to make sure that it's sustainable or if we really just a flash in the pan and they're going to recede back to mediocrity in the next couple of years. Um, so we should start with the Philadelphia 76ers, who were by, by far and away the most exciting team other than the Warriors in these 2018 playoffs. So after a relatively dominant five-game series win over the Miami Heat, the Sixers were starting to look like the best, most complete team in the East. In fact, they made me look stupid two weeks in a row now. I picked them to win the entire East and make it to the Finals. But uh, as is the case with many things, especially in the NBA, turns out they were frauds, <laughs> at least this year. And I know labeling them as a fraud is kind of a, a a big judgment at this point because they're all so young. But this year, they were frauds. And I'm using that term very lightly. So uh, they marched into these playoffs and into the second series with Boston, having gone 20-1 and one in their last 20 games. That's right, 20-1, and one, including the NBA playoffs in which they had that 5-1 and one series against the Heat. I thought they were a lock to beat the Celtics, who were without their two best players, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. And they were also without Jalen Brown, who at max capacity. I think he missed game one. Um, Jalen Brown has a hamstring issue. He's not 100%. Um, but in game one, the game was relatively close, but both teams were battling until the bitter end. But the Celtics managed to pull away, coming out, coming out on top, winning 117-101. Um, and I was ready to sweep that game one loss under the rug and chuck it up to home court advantage in game one. Um, just Brad Stevens, great coaching, having time to prepare, just doing all that. But then the Sixers pre- proceeded to blow a 22-point lead in Game 2. Then they lost in overtime after dropping confetti on a buzzer-beating shot to tie the game. And then the series was basically over. No team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in basketball. Um, but what happened to the Sixers? Was there a 16-game winning streak from right when the season ended in aberration? Are the Heat just washed up and old, and that series wasn't really a good indicator for how good the Sixers are? No. Don't be don't be ridiculous. Let's not make those judgments right now. None of those things are 100% true, but there is some truth to both those things. Their 16-game winning streak to close the season was primarily against Eastern Conference opponents, which for one, are worse and less talented than the Western Conference teams. And again, not a hot take. As a fact, the East... Top to bottom, much weaker than the West. And while some may make the argument that the East actually overall was better in the West, which I think is absurd because the teams overall had better records, that's simply because the West teams played each other more. It's just math. <laughs> so that argument's stupid, but that's off base, off topic. But that 16-game winning streak that they went on, Philadelphia, I'm talking about the 76ers, that 16-game winning streak that they were on to close the season also saw them win 12 of those games in which their opponents were either one, not in the playoffs, or two, tanking. So 12 of those wins weren't really that impressive. So, I mean, that 16-game winning streak in itself was impressive because they did beat that beat the Cavs, um, who are looking like a lock to come out of the East right now. And they beat a couple other good teams, but most of the were just beating up on bad teams. So their 16-win streak was significant, but not because they were beating really good teams. It's because... Just a long winning streak sustained with that young of players is impressive. 
Um, are the Heat washed up and old? I think that was the other question I brought up. This might be true. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest here. They were led by Dwayne Wade, who's a, who's a, one of the greatest players this game's ever seen. But he's 34 years old. He's no longer the elite, uh, even good player that he once was. He, when Even earlier this season when he was on Cleveland, I said he was done. I said he was washed up. Now, he did find some life in Miami. He got back into shape. Because apparently he was the when he came to Miami he was the player in the worst shape on the entire roster with like the highest body fat percentage, which makes you question what they're doing in Cleveland and if the food scene there is just that good. Um, I doubt it because Cleveland, <laughs> um, but Dwayne Wade never no longer no longer that elite force, but he was that driving factor in Miami's runs and the reason he was the reason why they won their only game. Um, but yeah, with any team with a, vet, a veteran team like Miami going up against the Sixers, you got to give some sort of edge to that veteran team just because they've experienced. But that's why you can't put all your stock into that because while Miami was a veteran team, they were also just not that great. So the Heat are not just washed up and old. They they were led by someone who is washed up and old and a couple other guys who are washed. Um, but yeah, I think the Sixers are, were for real. They just ended up not making it this year. They ended up just kind of choking. Uh, not choking, I guess, but just kind of folding uh, in the second round. And what really happened to them, they lost in five games, let me remind you. Um, so what really happened to them in those five games, the shooters went cold. Their shooters were ice cold. Um, the players who were bought out in the middle season, who they added, Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Elisova, they added them towards the end of the year. They were very solid for the Sixers. During that 16-game winning streak, they were incredible. But against the Celtics, Bellinelli shot just 34.1% from the floor and 31.3% from deep. Ilyasova shot 33.3% from the floor and 21.4% from three. Both those are awful. There's, there's no other way around it. No sugarcoating it here. Both those were terrible. Um, J.J. Redick, who they signed for what? like <laughs> How much did they sign up for? It was over $20 million on a one-year deal this offseason. He just went cold. Um, he was great in the first round. Um, he shot 43.5% overall, which is it's good, it's decent. But the bad part of that was he shot 34.2% from three, missed several wide-open threes, um, which could have really impacted the Sixers. The Sixers could have easily won that series. They could have easily won that series 4-1. to one. This is, They came short down the stretch, or they just kind of blew certain opportunities. Um, but I guess that, that's how it goes in, uh, in all sports, really. Um, Robert Covington, a guy who was their starter, was also ice cold after shooting 41.3% and 36.9% from deep in the regular season. He shot 26.8% from the floor and 25% from three against the Celtics, which is awful. Just truly awful. Um, and then there's just the, the Celtics were the better coach team, too. Brad Stevens coached the uh, Boston Celtics, who I think is hands down the coach of the year, best coach in the NBA at this point. Him and Greg Popovich are the two best, um, probably 1A and 1B. Um, and the only reason Greg Popovich is up there with him is because what he's done and how long he's been doing it for. But uh, Brad Stevens, he game plan for Ben Simmons perfectly. They gave him all the space he needed to on the perimeter because he can't shoot. <laughs> if you're giving him space in the perimeter or just anywhere past like 15 feet, he's not going to pull up and take a jumper. His game is to get to the rim. He literally didn't take a single three with the entire season. He didn't take one in the playoffs. I know that for sure. Um, but yeah, Simmons did not have a good series by really any metric. Um, I think the, the way people looked at him have completely changed. Or the way they look at him now is just completely different. Um, he went from looking like a young Magic Johnson, someone who could carry their team to multiple championships and looked like the f- future face of the East after LeBron's done. <laughs> and then uh, people now look at him uh, like a, a taller version of Rajon Rondo. <laughs> Which... Uh, is quite a fall from grace being compared to one of the top five players of all time to Rondo. Um, hey, but it is what it is. He's still very young. He's like what, 21 years old now. So he's got plenty of time to fix his jumper or work with all that. Um, but Ben Simmons was not good this series. He had one game this against the Celtics where he scored just one point. And that's pretty embarrassing. Even before that's embarrassing by itself but it became even more embarrassing by something that happened afterwards, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Probably the funniest thing that's happened since the entire playoffs. Um, someone on Twitter took the famous picture of uh, Wilt Chamberlain after he scored 100 points holding up the piece of paper with 100 written on it. They photoshopped out the two zeros, so it was just a picture, a piece of paper with a one on it, and then put Ben Simmons' face on it. 
after he scored just one point, which, again, I thought it was hilarious. And <laughs> me describing it to you over an audio podcast probably doesn't do it. Not probably. Definitely does not do it to justice that it requires. But I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, but, yeah, going back to the Sixers, the bottom line for the series was they simply just weren't ready. They were the youngest team in the playoffs. Um, and if anything, this postseason should point out some flaws with their team. They need to add a reliable wing scorer slash wing shooter of the summer, like Paul George, who's a free agent, and I think would be a perfect fit if he doesn't just go to L.A., which is widely speculated that that is what's going to happen. He's going to go join the Lakers or the Clippers, most likely the Lakers. Um, and they need to get Ben Simmons a jump shot. The guy can't shoot, and if you can't shoot, um, there's no reason to guard you on the perimeter if, if you can't shoot, because if you go out there and try to get him, he's just going to blow by you and get to the hoop. You can just give him all the space you want. <laughs> um, some Celtics fans were selling a shirt. There was a there was a certain play where he was <laughs> behind the three-point line and the closest Celtics defender was like at the hoop. And the caption, and there was a picture of it so you could see it very clearly. And on the shirt, the caption was, shoot it on the top of the picture. And then below it said, coward. And I thought that was hilarious. But um, <laughs> unrelated again. Um all in all, though, I think the success of the Sixers this year is definitely sustainable. I think it's they're definitely proving themselves to be the second-best team in the East uh, for years to come. But they were going to battle against the Celtics regardless of what happened. They're, and they're going to battle against the Celtics atop the Eastern Conference for years to come, probably the next decade. Um, and if they don't add the reliable wing shooter that they need or good veteran experience or another star around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, then they're going to lose to the Celtics because of the Celtics nude flash next year. They're going to have Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving back. Um, yeah, but that's it. That's the, uh, the funeral for the Sixers. They're done this year. No more seeing Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid on the floor, who is one of my favorite players to watch this year, but, um, they lost to the Celtics in a five game series in the second round, the Eastern conference semifinals. Next team that we're going to have a little funeral for right here is the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, the Pelicans were the hipster pick to upset the Warriors, which was, and still is, absurd to me. Um, I mean, I get it. They were really good down the, down the stretch in the second half. Um, I would even say incredible. They were incredible down the stretch, and mainly because Anthony Davis stepped up and looked like an MVP. Um, and they did this all after DeMarcus Cousins went down, and they then swept the Portland Trailblazers, who were led by Damian Lillard. Um, someone who's otherwise known as Costco brand Stephen Curry or Kirkland brand Stephen Curry or Jamal Crawford with a SoundCloud link in his Instagram bio. Um, but yeah, so the Warriors just, <laughs> to be frank, obliterated the Pelicans. They only lost one game and the Warriors just didn't show up in that game, to be honest. Um, but they were especially obliterated in games four and five. And that was because the Warriors started their death lineup or, um, I mean, the Hamptons five or... As I've also, also as I've also heard it, the mega death lineup, Hamptons Five, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the Pelicans, honestly, they played a really good series. They, it obviously doesn't look like that because they lost in five games, but they looked good. They looked like a good team. They played well on both ends. The issue was that they just don't have nearly enough talent to keep up with the Warriors. They don't have the, they don't have the superstar talent. They don't have the MVPs. They don't have the shooting. Just outmatched. Simply, I thought. I thought they were the games were all really fun to watch, um, but yeah. So the bottom line is that the Pelicans just stood no chance against the Warriors this series. And deep down, I think everyone knew that heading in. <laughs> if you pick the Pelicans to beat the Warriors, it's just simply you hate the Warriors and you just think their super team and the fact that they have the best team probably ever assembled is really bad for basketball. And I'm inclined to <laughs> maybe agree with you, but still, that's. I don't understand why I have to be vengeful instead of being correct in your predictions. Um, but moving on from that, how sustainable is the Pelicans' success from the second half of this year? Do they? Do I think they can do it next year? I think so. I see no reason why they can't. But there's a caveat, something built in there. They had success in the second half of the year for one reason and one reason only. They completely changed the way they played First half of the year, when they had Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis on the floor, one of the slowest teams in the league. Ran most of their offense through DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. And DeMarcus Cousins, don't get me wrong, is one of the what top three centers in the NBA. Probably the best offensive center in the NBA. But he's slow. 
He's kind of enigmatic. Um, and when he went down, they had to rely on Anthony Davis. And you know what they did? They went from being one of the slowest teams in the league to the, the fastest, the fastest. Probably, I think they might have been the fastest team the league's ever seen this year. They played faster than the Warriors, that's for sure. Um, and I thought that that style of play is incredibly sustainable. The Warriors have done it for four years. Um, we've seen it now because you get more possessions, you shoot more threes and all that, and that leads to you scoring more points. And if you have the personnel to step up in the defensive end, which they do, then that can be a sustainable strategy to winning. But if you keep DeMarcus Cousins, you don't have that option. Because, one, he's coming back from an Achilles tear, which is one of the most devastating injuries in professional sports, especially basketball. So he's going to be even slower than he was before. So, my unbiased opinion, in me being optimistic for Pelicans fans right here, if I could, if I was your GM this offseason, what I would do, either let DeMarcus Cousins walk, let someone else sign him, or sign and trade and get something back for him. But if you let him walk, you don't have to sign him and trade him or anything, just let him walk, you have that max spot, because he's getting paid the max, so you still have that max contract spot, which you can fill up with other shooters. Because we saw how good that team was when it was just Anthony Davis surrounded by shooters like Drew Holiday, Nikola Nik- <laughs> Miritich, however you pronounce his first name. It makes me stumble with my words every single time. But um, if you just surround him with shooters, then I there's, <laughs> I don't know if the Philadelphia 76ers are going to be able to be able to re-sign J.J. Redick, a couple other guys that are veterans. They're going to be veteran shooters galore on the market this year. Um yeah, and that seems, like a, that seems like a decent strategy for success, especially if you want to keep Anthony Davis long-term. You need to win, and you need to win fast. Because, I mean, if you don't make the Western Conference Finals by the time he hits free agency in a couple of years, he's gone. He's going to bolt for a real team. And I hate, to, I hate to break it to you, but I think that team might end up being the Warriors, and that's my unbiased opinion here. It's, everything seems to be pointing that way. Um, or, not another team you could go to, but an or with the uh, other option with DeMarcus Cousins is you could do a sign and trade. Um, you sign him, and then you trade him for another max guy. Um, and I, you could probably trade him to one of the. I think there are three teams which really need to have a shakeup at the top of their uh, at the top of their rotation. I think the Blazers do. I think the Raptors do, and I think the Wizards do. And now naturally, DeMarcus Cousins seems like the perfect guy for the Wizards because he has a big personality. And so does everyone else in the Wizards. So that'd just be a, a, a nightmare. And everyone, 29 teams would understand that going in, but the Wizards would not. Because so, that's how self-aware they are. Um, so you sent DeMarcus Cousins up there. You can get like Bradley Beal or Otto Porter. You can probably get a decent package of those guys. And if you just take on their, their salaries, and it should be fine. You could try to send them to Portland. In return, maybe try to get CJ McCollum, who I don't understand why there is more trade buzz about. Because clearly that... That dynamic too at the top, while exciting, doesn't really work. <laughs> and if I was a team that felt it was one player away from contention, <laughs> I'm making a play for Bradley Beal. Or not Bradley Beal, I mean, uh, what's his name? CJ McCollum. Make a play for him. 40% three-point shooter. He's been playing second field, Damian Lillard. If you get him on the wing with, say, like Philadelphia, that could be a perfect fit for him. Even, if, even in Boston, if you could somehow get a swing for that, the Philadelphia 76ers end up getting LeBron or Kawhi or even both of them. This offseason, then you need to do something. So if you could get a guy like CJ McCollum, that'd be deadly. Or you could send him to Toronto, um, get a big man, and then one of their two uh, two guys, Kyle Lowry or DeMar, DeMar DeRozan. I would get Kyle Lowry because he can shoot the three, and that's kind of what you need. Um, but yeah, so going back to the series, I kind of went off on a tangent there. My bad about that. Um, yeah, the Pelicans, straight up, they just got obliterated, just run off the floor of the Warriors, simply too good. I do think the Pelicans' future is promising, and only if they get rid of DeMarcus Cousins, because otherwise they're going to go back to what they were before, and that was kind of an enigmatic team, kind of had some really good games and had some kind of um, just stinkers, <laughs> you know? I don't have any better word for it, just not great games. Um, but yeah, so there's that. That's the Pelicans. Um, now, my favorite team to watch that hasn't been the Warriors this entire postseason has been the Utah Jazz. And it might, it might not be because of the way they play. It might be because of who they played. But I definitely had a really good fucking time watching the Jazz. Um, they beat the OKC Thunder in six games, which honestly made my heart sing. <laughs> that was probably one of my favorite series 
of basketball that didn't involve the Warriors in the last like four years. Um, it was honestly incredible just to watch the Thunder meltdown. Um, I would have paid good money to, to have been there live just to see Russell Westbrook lose his mind in games four and five. I mean, five and six. But um, the Jazz then ran full speed. All the momentum ran full speed into a brick wall. And that brick wall is known as Clint, Clint Cabela and the Houston Rockets. Um, and I think we all saw it coming. I I don't know. I don't remember if I predicted the Jazz having some upset over the Rockets, but I don't think I did. I don't think I was that that much of a prisoner of the moment. I think we all saw this coming that the Jazz were going to lose to the Rockets. Um, and there were several reasons behind this. Not just not just because the Rockets were a better team, more built for this era of the NBA, but also because the Jazz were dealing with injury issues. Ricky Rubio was hurt. He missed the entire series. He was a pretty big focal point of their offense. Not in the fact that he was a big scorer. Well, he did have a couple good scoring games against the Thunder, but he. Was their point guard. If your starting point guard's injured, you're in for a bad time. Nine times, 99 times out of 100, you're in for a bad time. Um, so their whole offense just wasn't the same. And then Houston also did a really good job of getting Rudy Gobert out of the lane and guarding guys outside the paint, which is literally the blueprint for beating the Jets. You need to take away their rim protection. And then if you take away their rim protection and bring it to the perimeter, then you just drive the hoop with ease. Because I don't think they're a great defensive team other than, uh, other than their Two tall guys, the Stifle Tower, and uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing this at like 10, but uh, I am, so it is what it is. Um, I am a little disappointed that this Jazz team lost in the manner that they did because they were quite honestly the most fun team to watch in the playoffs so far, and that includes the Warriors. I had the most fun watching this Jazz team simply because Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell was a revelation. I didn't know how good he'd be coming into the playoffs because he's a rookie. Um, but he blew me away. He was incredible. He looks like a young Dwayne Wade, and I'm so excited to see what he does in the next next couple years of his career. Um, he was hands down the rookie of the year for me, easily. I know Ben Simmons made a strong case. Um, but again, Ben Simmons isn't really a rookie to me. He's a redshirt rookie, so I didn't really count him. But Donovan Mitchell, if I was if I had a vote, runaway runaway favorite for me to be the rookie of the year. Um, but to be honest, I'm un- truly unsure about whether or not this team's success this year will be sustainable. Simply because I am unsure how the pieces around Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert will turn out to be in the coming years. Um, I don't know how... I don't know if they're going to bring back Jay Crowder, um, how good Ricky Rubio is going to be, because so far, outside of this year, I think this year was really good, really underrated, but so far until this year, he's kind of been as a picture of mediocrity. Um, so he could revert back to that. I just don't have, I don't know how much I can trust their pieces. Um, if they go out and they add somebody in the off season, that could be great. <laughs> but as of right now, I don't know what to think about how they're going to be in the future. I would like to think they're going to be sustainable because they do have a really, really solid top two pieces of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Um, but yeah, so I'm officially unsure <laughs> about whether or not to believe in this, in their success. But I think, they're going to be fine. I think they're going to end up being a staple of the Western Conference playoffs for the next five to seven years. Um, this is how much faith I have in Donovan Mitchell and, uh, and Rudy Gobert, but mostly Donovan Mitchell. I, kid's a fucking stud. Um, now, lastly, the last funeral for an Eastern Conference playoff team from this round is for the Toronto Raptors. How disappointing is that? Did I... I I did not predict them to beat the uh, the Cavs because one I'm not an idiot, and that's really the only reason there is no number two, no number three. So I don't know. I started with number one. I didn't pick them because I'm not an idiot. Um, I know how it goes. It's happened what four years in a row now, three or four years in a row. I can't remember what it is again. It's it's not early at night. Um, but yeah, this team got shit on by LeBron for the third year in a row. Third three. I wrote down three. That must be right. Um, they didn't even win a game. Not a single game. And only one of these games was really close. Um, you can look, it's probably several culprits, but I found one. I found one scapegoat that I think is worthy of the blame for this series for the uh, for the Raptors. And his name is DeMar DeRozan. He was awful in this series. Awful. Averaging 16.8 points per game after averaging like 24, 25 this regular season. On 43.9% shooting. 43.9% shooting is fine. It's good. It's what you want. But even though he can supposedly make threes, I've been told he can make threes. I've been told he became a good three-point shooter this year, even though he shot like 20-something percent. 
He went 0 for 9 from beyond the arc. If you, if you are capable of making threes, take more of them. Make a couple. He went 0 for 9. And normally I would put the blame on two different guys for for any kind of series, really. But it really just comes down to DeMar DeRozan here. DeMar DeRozan was awful. And normally in the playoffs, his running mate, Kyle Lowry, hasn't been as great. But this year he was. Kyle Lowry was great. He averaged 17.8 points per game which is, I think, only only one full point more than DeMar DeRozan, but he's the second fiddle, so he should be averaging as that many points while DeMar DeRozan averages something like 20, as a quote-unquote superstar is supposed to do. Um, but Lowry was actually very good. He averaged 17 point points per game on 57.1% shooting, which is incredible, um, and then 45.8% shooting from three, which, again, is incredible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really, what the, what the Rockets have come down to, or not the Rockets, the Raptors, is that I'm done with them. I am officially done with this team forever. Until the end of time. Or until they just... Until it's a completely new team. And no one from this era of like 2015 to 2018 is on this roster anymore. None of them. Except for maybe their, their rookies or rookies from this year. Um, the Raptors have gotten better each and every regular season. Only to wind up getting absolutely obliterated by LeBron James every single year. They don't actually try anything different. They don't actually ever do anything different in the playoffs. I mean, they did in the regular season. They became like a modern NBA team this regular season. They shot the three ball. They had an awesome bench. But playoffs came, and as long as DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry are leading this team, they're going to come up small. I know DeMar DeRozan, or Kyle Lowry had a really good series this time, but DeMar DeRozan didn't. He routinely comes up small in the playoffs. He was even benched at one point down the stretch of this series. And I actually, I actually really like this team's supporting cast. But I think it needs a change of the guard. I think you need to get rid of either DeMar DeRozan and or Kyle Lowry. Maybe you can, sw- maybe you can swing a trade in a perfect world. world. I would have a three-way trade between the Blazers the Raptors, and the Wizards. And all three of them would trade one of their two top stars and just have them in a new environment. That'd be my ideal situation right there. Um, But I think you need to try and get rid of um, Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan and try to get equal value. Or try to get players who will actually make an impact in the playoffs, like a three-point shooter. Um, Or someone who's not scared of LeBron James. Who's someone who's young enough to not know what LeBron James is capable of. Well, DeMar DeRozan is old enough to remember the fact that he gets swept every year by LeBron and that he can't do anything against LeBron. Um, but the change definitely needed to come in terms of the roster and how the roster is built. But unfortunately, it wasn't because this morning, today, Friday, May 11th, the morning of Friday, May 11th, instead of announcing that they were going to trade one of their two top guys or shake up their roster some other way, they fired their coach. Which is absurd to me. Their coach, Dwayne Casey, has led the Raptors to three straight, three straight 50-plus win seasons. And has two other seasons before that, where his team won 48 and 49 games. He set the franchise record for wins this year with, like, what do you have, like 59 wins? Something like 59, 56, one of those two. It ended in one of the numbers of 69. This is whether or not it's flipped upside down or not. Um, he helped modernize this team so that it can compete with the top dogs in the NBA, top dogs all over the league. He was most certainly not the problem with this team. He was literally voted coach of the year by his fellow coaches. And when it's all said and done, he's going to be coach of the year based off the entire media's perspective. And he was fired. Because DeMar DeRozan went back into his shell against the against the Cavaliers and he couldn't carry the load like your quote-unquote superstar is supposed to do. The wrong guy got the blame here. The wrong guy lost his head. The wrong guy is being, leaving town. Dwayne Casey was the reason this team was as good as it was. Um, but yeah, now Dwayne Casey's on the market. I hope a team signs him because he's honestly been a great coach for the last couple of years. And I, I don't think the losses to the Cavaliers are on him. I think it's on his two top players. And I 
I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I don't know if he's going to get a head coaching job right away, but I mean, if he's going to be an assistant, what better place to do though than in Golden State, baby? Um, I don't think it's actually going to happen that he's going to go to the Warriors, but as an arrogant Warriors fan, in the playoffs, I'm allowed to be as arrogant as I want, but um, my bottom line with this Toronto Raptors team is I think it should be blown to smithereens. I am done with them. Trade everybody. Go into the tank, build through the draft, or you better make the next Greg, Greg Popovich your head coach and then trade for a third star. You're out of options here. Unless LeBron leaves the East, you're going to be in the same spot next year and the year after that until you make a change with your roster. And I think it's as simple as that. But uh, yeah, those were the four funerals for the four or three hot upstart teams of the NBA and the dying baby dinosaurs, the Barneys, the Toronto Raptors, who were once again wiped out by the asteroid named LeBron James. But now, after all that, after some of the most exciting teams in the NBA have been eliminated, we are down to our final four in the West. The Western Conference Finals will be between the number two seed Golden State Warriors and the number one seed Houston Rockets. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the matchup we knew is coming. This is the matchup we have been waiting for. And I'm totally here to completely rain on your parade if you think this is going to be a long, exciting series. No way in hell are the Warriors letting this be a long, exciting series. They've heard all the criticism. They've heard all the people cheering on Houston. They've heard people saying that they're the best team, best offensive team that this league has ever seen. They've heard Clint Capella's trash talk saying, saying that they are clearly the better team. They've seen Daryl Morris tweets. They've seen it all. They've said, seen all the quote unquote, this is our year tweet or quotes from James Harden and Chris Paul. <laughs> and they are ready. I didn't need any more messages after Draymond Green's press conference following game five when they win that when they won that series over the Pelicans. When he said, I don't remember the exact quote, I forgot to write it down. Something like, We are going for the championship. We are competing for the championship, and you are simply in our way. And we are looking forward to playing you and getting us out of our way. Something along those lines. The Warriors are ready. They have experience. They have two rings in the last three years. But let's analyze this a little bit. First of all, let me make my prediction ahead of time. I think this series is going to last approximately five games. Four if the Warriors feel like trying this whole time. But I don't think I don't think that's likely. I think the Warriors take games one and two. Or just they take game one and then they realize that they have home court advantage again. Then they fuck around in game two and then they take the last three games. But um, the Houston Rockets, despite having won 65 games this season, are heavy underdogs this season. And the Warriors are heavy favorites. If I remember correctly... In the faces of overwhelming odds. Despite what all the national media and your favorite radio talk show hosts were saying, I stuck with this pick from the very beginning. I have been right all along with how this Western Conference is shaping up. So far in the playoffs, James Harden has had some weird games. He's looked great in some. He's had some incredible games. And then he's looked off. He's looked like he did it last year when he, quote-unquote, might have had a concussion or looked like he was drugged on the floor. He's had some weird games like that. Chris Paul is in uncharted territory in his first Western Conference Finals ever. And neither one of those two guys has gone off. Like, when they both had individual games where they've been great. Chris Paul and, and uh, James Harden in the playoffs. They've had individual games where they've been absurd and unstoppable. They haven't had those games in the same game. They have all been staggered. And if you need to beat the Warriors, you need all your guys firing on all cylinders in the same wavelength. That's how good they are. The only reason the Cavs beat them in 2016 was a perfect storm of injuries, suspensions, and playing really well. You're not getting it that perfect storm. The Warriors are smarter. They also added Kevin Durant. They have the four best players in the entire series. 
I don't know why people have been saying that the Rockets were going to be a threat for so much time. Everyone's picking the Warriors now. You got to stick to your conventions there, buddy. Go with your gut. Your gut's been telling you all year that the Rockets are better, or at least that's the message you've been putting out. I think we all know the truth here. <laughs> the Warriors are the better team. People make a big deal about the fact that the Rockets are something like 55 and 10 when Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella all start. Newsflash, the Warriors can play the fastest of any team in the league. You know the Pelicans who I mentioned earlier were the fastest team, I think, in the history of the league, if I'm not mistaken? They played faster than them. They beat them at their own game. They can run Clint Capella, the big man that the Rockets rely on, off the floor. They can make your bigs unnecessary. The Warriors don't have to play a real center all series. From top to bottom, the Warriors have the better players. Stephen Curry is better than Chris Ball, hands down. That's been proven for years now. James Harden is a better, better all-around offensive player than Klay Thompson, but Klay Thompson is a better defensive player. And Klay Thompson put the clamps on James Harden nearly every time they play. Kevin Durant is head and shoulders better than every player on the Rockets. And the players who are supposedly going to guard him and lock him down... Trevor Ariza, Luke Richard, and Bob Mute. Not even in the same, you can't even mention them in the same sentence as great, in terms of greatness, in terms of Kevin Durant. Not even close. Andre Iguodala, the finals MVP from 2015, Olympic gold medalist, Hall of Famer, in the starting lineup with the Hamptons Five, is better who, than whoever the Rockers are going to throw out at him. What, Gerald Green? No. And then the Rockets, their secret weapon, P.J. Tucker, their quote-unquote, their Draymond Green, is just Kirkland brand Draymond Green. Draymond Green is a defensive player of the year. He makes shots when he needs to. He averaged a triple-double in his last series. P.J. Tucker's not even in the same universe. Sorry. Is this breaking news to you? I feel like it's not. I feel like you've known this the whole time. Come on. I may have gone off on a tangent here. <laughs> I forgot where I was. Let me look at the... Uh, okay, back to the outline. The Rockets... And the, what the series is really going to come down here... Come down to here is what I think it is. They have no one who can guard Kevin Durant. There's no one who can guard him on any team. But especially on the Rockets. They have no one who can guard him. Did I already talk about that a couple of seconds ago? I might have. <laughs> who cares? It's, <laughs> it's not early in the night. And... My mind's going like a million miles an hour. It's in like a hundred different directions. So let's just move on. This whole season was full of delusion from NBA fans, NBA Twitter, NBA talk shows, sports radio shows, sports media, everybody full of delusion. This whole series, this whole year, full of delusion. You know why? You hate the Warriors and what they've done. So much that you actually convinced yourself that the Houston Rockets were a better team. Were truly better in every facet of their game. You were mesmerized by the fact that they pushed for their first, for their number one seed. That they shot 53 pointers a game. That their defense was slightly improved. While the Warriors coasted through the regular season. Rested people to avoid injury. Rested people to make sure they were healthy. They're here. They've been better than you in the playoffs so far against better teams. So, in about five games, around 10-ish days, I'm going to have a fucking great time taking a victory lap right here on this podcast, laughing at all of you who have picked the Rockets. The Rockets are underdogs in the series. They're only favored in one game, and that game is game one. And I don't even think they're going to win game one. This Rockets team, if they lose game one, will go into the tank. The Warriors will sweep if the Rockets win, if the Warriors win game one. If the Rockets win game one, 
This series is over in five games. So my prediction is the Warriors will win this series in five games. And only two of those games will be close. And those two games will be like either game one if the Warriors win. And then if the Warriors win game one, then the other game will be close. It'll be game two. But then after that, it'll be ugly. The Rockets are going to get run off the floor. The Warriors are simply the better team. And I think we can all admit that. (laughs) And in 10 days, we're going to have proof. All right, that was intense. <laughs> I got a, I might have gotten a little too close to the microphone there. You can hear the nice bass of my melodic voice. Melodic voice? I don't, I, I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, I can't speak English. I can't even read. Can you believe that? I can't even read. And I write, I write on this website, sportsball.com. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, I write my own podcast, and I, I somehow am able to uh, do all this. It's pretty crazy. Um, but so what I said I said the the Warriors are going to beat the Rockets in five games in the conference finals absolutely that's my prediction and now we move to the east where the series is almost as easy just as easy to call we've got the Cleveland Cavaliers the four seed taking on the number two seed Boston Celtics which (laughs) this was the same matchup as it was last year Though I admire how well the Celtics have played so far this postseason against the Bucks and the Sixers, they are still missing their two best players, Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, <laughs> and they are running full speed into a brick wall named LeBron James. Now, LeBron James had a great series in all facets of his game last week against the Raptors, except for one, and that one part of his game might end up being crucial. His three-point shooting was awful. Against the Raptors, he shot just 16.7% from three. But I'm not sure that's going to be a huge deal in this series, especially because some of his supporting cast has finally woken up. J.R. Smith, George Hill, and Kyle Korver have all heated up from three. And Kevin Love, who is playing with one hand, was phenomenal last series. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, before we think that this is going to be a sweep, we think this might be easy, we think that all these hot performances from the Cavs supporting cast is sustainable. We need to take into consideration one simple fact, that their really good performance could have all just been because they were playing the Raptors, and the Raptors were awful. Just no way around it. The Raptors were awful, and they've Cavaliers overperformed. That could be in play here. They were Cavaliers were not great. Other than LeBron James, were not great against the Pacers. <laughs> and they won that series because of LeBron James uh, and bad coaching from the <laughs> from the Pacers. But we won't talk about that. We will not speak ill of the dead. And they, they've been dead for three weeks now. Um, but we will see. We will see if the uh, hot shooting of the bench, the bench's sudden competence, the supporting cast's sudden competence is for real. Or if it was just a byproduct of the Raptors' ineptitude. We will see. Now, with the Celtics, I will not count them out from the get-go. But I do not think they're going to win. I will give them two wins in this series. One, because Brad Stevens will help his team take a late lead thanks to his stellar play calling and coaching, or he'll put his team in the best positions to succeed throughout an entire game at home. And they're, then they're going to win another game because the Cavaliers will just have a ghastly shooting night as they're prone to do like once a series. But ultimately, I think the Cavs will win this series in six games. The Cavs just have more firepower, more veterans. Whereas the Celtics are a relatively young team who are being led by Jason Tatum, who has been ridiculous this playoffs. He, if if the um, if the playoffs were in consideration for rookie of the year, or if your, your playoff performances could be used in your consideration for rookie of the year, and then he could make an argument that he should be the rookie of the year. And he was, I think he's third, the third best rookie throughout the entire season. If we're counting Ben Simmons, if not, he was the second best. Um, and Jalen Brown's been incredible. 
Terry Brogier, Scary Terry, might, might be becoming one of my favorite players to watch. Um, but the Cavs just have more guys. And while the, those guys might not be great, they've got LeBron James. And that's the best advantage you can have when you're playing in the East. So, I think the Cavs take this series in six games. And I, I feel fairly confident in that prediction. I feel very, very confident in both these, actually. Um, so, one last time. My predictions for the Western Conference Finals are as follow. In the West, the Warriors will beat the Houston Rockets in five games. In the East, the Cleveland Cavaliers will beat the Boston Celtics in six games. And that'll see last I'll speak on this matter. Until what, like next, next Wednesday, next Thursday? I'm not going to try to be dramatic here. Um, I'll speak on it next week, once we're like halfway through the series. Um, and that's it for the NBA playoffs, but we have one more story really quickly that I did not prepare for at all that I just want to touch on really quickly. And that is this. Kawhi Leonard, who has only played in nine games for the San Antonio Spurs this season, Due to some injuries with his legs, some he's been in New York with his group, as but Greg Popovich calls it. Looks like he's on his way out of San Antonio, and I know I've been speculating about that for a couple weeks now, but it seems like that is now coming to fruition, and now it has the full attention of the national media, for one reason and one reason only. Yesterday, on Thursday, May tenth, Kawhi Leonard was seen taking in a Dodgers game in the crowd watching the Dodgers you know what's weird about that he's a professional athlete he's obviously allowed to do what he wants with his time but I don't remember him seeing him on the sideline for the Spurs when they were playing the Warriors and he's on that team you couldn't be on the sideline while you're hurt supporting your own team in the playoffs as they fight to continue their season, but you can go watch the Dodgers. It's weird, a little weird to your boy. A little, um, a little strange to me, but it's, I just think it's a bad look. I think he's, I think he's made it very clear now those actions that he wants out of San Antonio. It looks like there has been, uh, I don't know how to describe it. It looks like there is just the canyon, the ravine between what the Spurs want and the Spurs way and what Kawhi Leonard wants is too deep. Kawhi Leonard wants to be the focal point. He wants to be the superstar that he can be, but he doesn't want to do it while just being a cog in the machine that is the Spurs. He wants to do it with his own team. He wants to do it with the Los Angeles Lakers or the Los Angeles Clippers, or he wants to go join a really good team that could compete for a title right away in Boston or in Philadelphia. He, I don't think he sees that the Spurs are able to do that, and I think he's, I think he's fed up. But it's a bad look, regardless, that he was seen at a Los Angeles Dodgers game after not showing up to any of his Spurs playoff games. And not only that, but you're going to see the Dodgers? Why? The Dodgers are fucking bad. <laughs> they're awful. Even worse than the Giants this year. And the Giants are sliding. Uh, to, put it, to put it lightly, they're sliding. Um, but yeah, so it's a bad look. Um, but now I think Kawhi Leonard is definitely out of San Antonio. There was a rumor floating around today, actually, something I saw. Um, some per- somebody on Twitter said his sources told them that the Spurs made an offer to an Eastern Conference team who is not the Boston Celtics. For their star player and a first-round pick for Kawhi Leonard. And that the Eastern Conference team laughed at them and hung up the phone. I have no idea who this could have been. But I think it means a trade is imminent. That Kawhi Leonard will not be a spur by the time this offseason is over. He will be gone. Where do I think he could be the best fit? I think if Philadelphia makes makes the, uh, the Spurs a compelling offer, I think he'd be a great fit there. Put him alongside Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and that young that young roster, he'd be incredible. Now, what I've been saying for, what, two months now? If he goes to Boston, not only is that team the best team in the East, regardless of where LeBron goes, that team could give the Warriors a run for that money. 
And if I'm Boston, I'm frothing out of the mouth to try to get that. If Kawhi Leonard is healthy and can even resemble what he was um, last year as an MVP candidate, then he makes your team nearly unbeatable, especially in the East. Um, and then you could also trade him to uh, Los Angeles or another Western Conference team. But Greg Popovich, I think, has been on the record saying he does not want to trade him to a Western Conference team. And that's smart because you don't want to have to play him like three times a year. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for all the NBA. That's a long one. Uh, a lot of stuff to talk about the NBA. Wow, that was a really long one. <laughs> that's been a lot of a long time. Um, I don't really have much to talk about the NFL. The draft is already over. Nothing really is significant has happened since then. Um, anything in terms of the MLB? Uh, there are a couple stories with the MLB. The Yankees are hot. I think they've won 19 of their last 20 games, which is incredible. Giancarlo Stanton's come back alive. Aaron Judge has looked like the MVP candidate that he was last year. Um, the young Atlanta Braves are incredible. Even though the Giants just swept them last week, the Braves are incredible. The Philadelphia Phillies are also just awesome. The NL East is sneakily becoming the most exciting, fun division to watch in the MLB. And I'm, I won't get into it now because I'm going to have an article up about it this weekend about how the NL East is, might be the most exciting, <laughs> most exciting division in baseball. Um, and then the Giants. The Giants are in a skid. They've lost five straight. They're below 500 again. 18 and 19, I think, or 19 and 20, one of the two. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to get into for the MLB right now. And that's I, that's simply because we're in the thick, just right in the middle of the MLB playoffs, <laughs> or the NBA playoffs. So as soon as the playoffs end, we'll be diving right into the NFL and MLB, and that'll be the priority of the show. Um, but yeah, that's the end. That has been episode number 15 of the sportsball.com podcast if you enjoyed this podcast you enjoyed the lovely sound of my voice you enjoyed the way it tickled your ear canals go ahead and go to itunes hit that subscribe button scroll down a little bit hit that leave a review hit that five stars and leave me something nice to read it really make me feel good if you want to check out more of my shit sportsball.com is where i write put up a couple articles a week that's s-p-o-r-t-z-b-a-l-l.com sportsball.com. This has been Jackson Williams. This was episode 15. Thanks for watching. See you next week.